0: KYW News Radio Original Podcasts. This is KYW News Radio in depth. I'm Charlotte Reese. Just about everyone has heard that the doomsday clock is inching closer to midnight. But I don't think I've ever actually talked to anyone about what that actually means or if it's as scary as it sounds. So I called Dr. Rachel Bronson. She's the president and CEO of the Bulletin of the Atomic Scientists. That's the group that winds the doomsday clock. So just to start, the hands of the doomsday clock are at 100 seconds to midnight. And it sounds a little bit terrifying, but before we go into what that exactly means, can you start from the beginning and talk about what the doomsday clock is and what's the story behind it? The Doomsday Clock was created in 1947
1: for the first cover of the first magazine of the Bulletin of the Atomic Scientists. So the Bulletin of the Atomic Scientists had been created two years before in 1945 as a bulletin, hence our name, a six page black and white bulletin created by Manhattan Project scientists out of the University of Chicago who were very worried about this new technology for atomic weapons, and that it would change warfare as we knew it, and very quickly had the potential to end human civilization as we knew it, and they knew this firsthand because they were the scientists who worked on it. Many of them were immigrants from Europe, so they understood the connection between politics and science, and how science can be used for good or for evil. And so they were very concerned that uh, we figure out how to control this new technology to help advance humanity and not undermine it. So just a few months after the dropping of the bombs on Hiroshima and Nagasaki, which was in August of 1945, uh, they created the first bulletin in December of 1945. It became very popular. They were really focused on engaging the public because of the importance of public engagement for political action. And in 1947, they turned it into a magazine with wider distribution. One of the scientists, a man named Alexander Langsdorff, his wife was Martil Langsdorff, who was an oil landscape painter, and he turned to her for the first cover. And she really understood the urgency that these scientists were confronting and their belief that the public needed to be engaged. And she was trying to create some piece of artwork, if you will, that conveyed that. And she designed the clock, and she set it as the first cover, at seven minutes to midnight. So that's where we start, and that's where we're bounded. Two years later, when the Soviets tested their first atomic weapon, the editor of the bulletin moved the hands of the clock forward to five minutes to midnight to convey just how dangerous this was. And then in 1953, after the U.S. and the Soviets had both tested hydrogen bombs, He moved it again to three minutes to midnight, which is the closest it had been up until we arrived there just a few years ago. It's been moved back and forth, so it moves away from midnight and towards midnight, based on, at first, the editor of the Bulletin, Atomic Scientists, and now the Science and Security Board that sets it. So what the first editor did was take this kind of compelling graphic design and make it dynamic. And then over time, it became known as the Doomsday Clock, and it became a symbol of how close humanity is to destroying itself with through technology. It had been about nuclear weapons up until 2007 when climate issues began uh, being included in our assessment of what time it was. And the reason for that is, and it runs up to where we are today, um, as the president CEO of the bulletin, Every year in November, when my science and security board convenes in Chicago, we did it via Zoom this year, I asked them two questions. Is humanity safer at greater risk this year compared to last year and this year compared to all other times we've asked that question? And as of 2007, the board said, you can't really answer that question unless climate is included. And so it becomes, it's, it's really a clock about man's ability to destroy itself and how well are we harnessing technology for good mm.
0: so us being right now at a hundred seconds to midnight, can you talk a little bit about what that means and what happens I guess at midnight When the
1: clock was first created, midnight meant a nuclear exchange uh, and a strategic exchange that uh, that really Ended uh, life on Earth as we know it, so it was pretty clear about what midnight m- means or meant. When we add climate into it, it becomes a l- more confusing, right? Because some of some of the scientists think like we're you know we're probably past midnight in the sense that things that we need to be doing now uh, uh, we need to be doing now because we're going to feel the effects of it in fifty years. So we talk a lot about that how. Um, adding climate and some of these other issues is, um, is a little bit more complicated, which it is. Um, and it is a, a bit about apples and oranges. And so we acknowledge that. Um, but it really becomes this question of is, is humanity safer or at greater risk? And so in which case, you really do have to include these other technologies. Um, So what happened is a great question. And it really speaks to the need for a lot of attention on these big existential issues like climate and nuclear risk, which is on the nuclear side, we had moved it back to 17 minutes to midnight in 1991. It was kind of the heyday of arms control agreements. You had the collapse of the Soviet Union. You had both the U.S. and the Soviets agreeing to reduce their arsenals. You had decisions put in place to make it a lot harder to use those nuclear weapons and the commitment by leaders, Gorbachev and Reagan at the time, that a nuclear war could never be won and must never be fought moving that far back to 17 minutes to midnight. And then slowly, really, since the 2000s, it's been moving uh, steadily closer. So the last major arms control agreement between the U.S. and the Russians was in 2010 when uh, we started New Start. And that was, I think we were about 10 minutes to midnight at that point. or And then we moved it back a little bit. But since 2010, we've steadily been moving it forward. And why? There's uh, several key reasons we've been moving it closer. On the nuclear side, the complete deterioration in U.S.-Russian relations. These are two countries that still control 90% of the world's nuclear arsenals. And when relations deteriorate as desperately and cataclysmically as they are now, it's a very, very dangerous environment. The second reason on the nuclear side we moved it we've been moving it steadily closer to midnight is because every major nuclear state on the globe is investing in their nuclear arsenals. So the U.S. is in the process of investing somewhere between $1.3 and $1.8 trillion over the next 30 years in in a new nuclear arsenal. The Russians have just completed their investments in it. The Chinese are investing in it. The Pakistanis have the fastest growing nuclear arsenal on the planet. And the Israelis are trying to figure out how to maintain their nuclear reactors as well. So you're seeing huge investments going into every major nuclear country, you just have to look at what North Korea is doing as well, um, add to that mix. In addition to that, uh, if you look at doctrines, increasingly every major nuclear country is beginning to operate as if um, using nuclear weapons is more likely. We are far away from that Gorbachev-Reagan statement that I said earlier, where if you look at the US posture, you look at the Russian posture, you look at others and Pakistani posture, their nuclear weapons are becoming more like more usable rather than less, both in our investments and our policies. So that's a few things on the nuclear side that we've been looking at. On the climate side, what we've been looking at is the lack of international urgency and response to the climate situation as it becomes increasingly necessary that we take urgent actions. So when we had the Paris Agreement, we called that out as a bright spot, but um, it hadn't been implemented. and Of course, we know the U.S. walked away from it. So we try to call it bright spots when we see it. But on the climate side, the lack of international coordination around an urgent threat is something we've been really concerned about.
0: Right. And as you said, you just said like, it hasn't changed. So how often does the clock change? Does it always have to change? What's kind of the calculation to know what time exactly it is? It's really a, judge,
1: a judgment of leading experts who work in day in and day out in the areas of nuclear risk, climate change, and new disruptive technologies. And it's a very simple kind of answer, right, which is, is humanity safer or at greater risk? And they have to answer, it's the same, it's gotten worse, or it's gotten better. Right. And so and then and that's like which direct do you keep the clock where it is or do you move it forward or back? And then what are we trying to say with this time? And so there's been times we've moved it 30 seconds. There's been times we've moved it a couple minutes. But it's what are we trying to say about the current situation and what time would reflect that? So it's somewhat controversial to leave it at 100 seconds to midnight. Right. Because we've just gone through 2020, which was one of the most abysmal and threatening years that humanity really has faced. And so how do we think about COVID in this? And why did we move it in January of 2020, but not January 2021? Well, let me just take you back to January of 2020. When we came out and said we were moving it from two minutes to midnight to 100 seconds. So we were moving it the first time we had moved it to the unit of seconds where 100 seconds, we got a lot of flack for that, which uh, from from folks who are like, are you really like, it's like, it's great. 2020 is gonna be fantastic. <laughs> but we were really, we've been very concerned about how information is being used and misused and how difficult it is to find reliable facts and sources of information to address the biggest challenges of our times and the willful use of politicians of false information to advance their agendas, which we called at the time a threat multiplier. It made it ever harder to deal with the big issues of nuclear risk and climate change and all the threats we were facing, and also the denigration of science and expertise. And we're sitting at a moment where the next 40 years, we are going to generate more scientific innovation than we have in all of human history. And and perhaps for that reason, or maybe because, despite of that reason, leaders are denigrating science and experts exactly when we need them. And so we've been really concerned of this, seeing this as a threat multiplier, and we called that out in our statement given that things were not going well in our our two big issuaries. And that's why we moved it. And we called out the fact that if there was a global problem or accident, we were going to be really ill-equipped to deal with it, Um, both because we hadn't been investing in institutions and the expertise needed and updating our international architecture to deal with 21st century threats. So when COVID came along, and this is how we talked about it in January of 2021, a lot of our predictions, unfortunately, kind of were born out. And so, right, what did we see? We saw the fact that international organizations on the pandemic side, like the WHO, the World Health Organization, WHO has real problems. There's very strong Chinese influence that doesn't always help us get to the answers that we're looking for. And the U.S. walks away from the WHO as soon as it's needed most, doesn't it try to, to, to fix it, doesn't come up with an alternative, just walks away from it. And you can see that those challenges in the nuclear and climate space as well as arms control agreements that are really falling apart and have kept the U.S. and the Russians safe and have kept the globe safe. We've seen a walking away from institutions and agreements exactly when we need them. So recognizing that they have problems and we should be leaning in to either replace them or have them adapt, but just walking away from them. So we were very concerned of the fact that the New START arms control agreement was about to expire and the Trump administration didn't seem well-placed to be able to extend it. Biden administration did extend it, and that was something that we celebrated, but it's just an example of kind of a global architecture that's aging, that it was built in the, right after World War II, and a lot of new investments need to be made, and we don't see that same kind of commitment being made. What we saw in COVID was instead of an immediate response to collaborate internationally, you saw every country kind of fending for itself, a spiral down to jingoism and nationalism, and and not the kind of coordinated response that would have actually saved lives and um and helped kept keep all of us safe. So there's like uh-huh. there's no reason in these other areas to believe that we would be able to keep ourselves safe if we faced a similar kind of emergency. And there's a lot of things we are worried about that COVID bore out that should lead us to believe that in some some of these other areas like climate and nuclear issues that we have a lot of work to do to kind of keep us safe. There's lessons in there, too, of, of things we can do, but that's where we are. So we, we really do believe we're in a very, very dangerous time, and there's there's policies we could put in place to make us safer, and that's in part what we're trying to sound the alarm about.
0: Obviously, there's so much going on, as you said, pandemic, but you guys are focused on atomic and climate change. But what are you focusing on Kind of looking ahead, what are some things, and you mentioned a few, but are there three, a couple, maybe specific things that the bulletin's really looking for to uh, get us maybe a little bit further away from midnight again?
1: Yeah, for sure. And so the bulletin looks at three issues. We look at, we write on every day, you know, on our website and then our magazine that's every other month that comes out. We're focused on man made threats to human existence. So, what does that mean? It's nuclear issues, climate change, and new disruptive technologies like artificial intelligence and cybersecurity. But we also look at biosecurity within that, which is why we're doing so much writing on pandemics and um, and then people were coming to the site cause the Bulletin of Atomic Scientists, like if you want to understand the science behind, you know, COVID and, and how people are thinking about it and what policymakers are doing about it, we became a site that, that people came to because of our longstanding concern for um, bioterrorism and, um, and biowarfare, even though this wasn't an example of that. So in our report, we highlight bright, bright spots, uh, which are things that we would look for to help us move the clock back. And so... Uh, We did call out the New START agreement that if the U.S. and the Russians could extend New START, we believe that that would make us safer. If we could find ways to have strategic dialogues with the Russians and Chinese, especially with the Russians that have been really put on hold because of everything we know with the elections and everything like that, that would make us safer, even though we have real problems with them in this other space maybe it's on nuclear issues, we can find a, play, a, a way to at least try to keep that, that part of the relationship safe. There's things in the U.S. that we can do. We think there's a lot of money being wasted in terms of how we're investing in our new nuclear arsenal. And on our site, we have a great piece by Elizabeth Eaves on does America need a $100 billion missile? Whereas um, in ter- if you think about what's keeping us safe or not right now, if more investment in vaccines and pandemic response and all of the the kind of domestic issues that we know need funding that that are starved for resources and yet we're overspending not even overspending on our military overspending on our nuclear arsenal in a way that is not keeping us safe and in fact is is putting us at greater risk it's a terrible investment at the levels at which we're investing and so more attention to what should our strategy be in 20, our nuclear strategy be in 2021 and into 2030? Do we really need to be building as if the Cold War was happening? Or can we build more smartly for the 21st century? What kind of technology should we be investing in? So we kind of do some suggestions there in terms of, you know, we should be asking these kinds of questions. And the climate space, a bright spot was we did believe there'd be a return to the Paris Climate agreements and commitments, that's nowhere near enough of, of what's needed, but at least getting back into that process and trying to ramp up commitments rather than walking away from them is something we think will be very helpful to us. And then we would like to see more investments in pandemic responses. Our public health officials on our board have long been saying we know that pandemics, they're not going to be once a century. Just the way that we're living, how easily we travel, the fact with climate change is putting us into contact with nature in new ways that this transfer from animals to people will be more likely and will spread. And COVID, as deadly as it was, and we will recover from COVID in terms of finding vaccines and everything, but it's a starter pandemic. You know, this wasn't as deadly as smallpox, uh, which killed, I think it was had like a, it was almost a 50% mortality rate. So there's things that we can learn from this and investments we can make, but those are the kinds of things that we're outlining that would help us turn back the clock.
0: I have seen you call the clock a metaphor in other interviews that you've done. I mean, the doomsday clock, it sounds like such a a scary thing for a lot of people. What do you just kind of want people to know when they think about the doomsday clock and that ticking closer to midnight or hopefully further away? So, I mean, I think it's fair to say
1: it's very doomy, (laughs) Right. I mean, it's a very doomy metaphor, and you know the name of it was given in 1947, and and so it's with us. It's it's not bright and shiny and kind of happy and attractive. But here's what we want people to take away from it. So first of all, we may, we announce the time uh, every year in January, and these topics that we. We talk about nuclear risk, climate change, new disruptive technologies, artificial intelligence, cyber. These are all really hard to kind of access um, and, you know, kind of really talk about uh, around the the kitchen table or, you know, when, when you're chatting with a friend. But to the extent to which when we set it, people stop and say like, oh, you know, it's been set, it's closer to midnight. And do you agree or disagree with us? If you were setting the clock, what would go into those calculations? Why would you set it closer or farther away? What else should we be? All of those are really important questions to engage all of us on these issues that are so hard to talk about. It just gives entrance into this conversation. So I think to the extent to which we can just talk about it, if we got it right or wrong and why, um, is really important. Second, that there's agency in this, like this is not a clock that just moves closer and closer to midnight. We have set it away from midnight several times, many times since 1947. And so thinking about, well, what can I do? What can we do? And there are some lessons in COVID from this, right? Which is you and I right now are speaking from our homes. Those are things individuals can do to stop the spread. We wear masks when we go out. That stops the spread. So there are things, even in a global pandemic, that individuals can do. And there's things on the climate side that individuals can do. We can you know, turn lights off and, and recycle, but we can also retrofit our homes. We can make our homes less leaky. And things like that, we can choose different kinds of cars. There's things that individuals can do. We can ask our political leaders about it. We can make investments. There's a lot that individuals can do. On the nuclear space, it's harder. But even in the nuclear space, just getting educated on these issues, asking your political leaders or asking your community leaders what they're doing. So this piece that I just mentioned on our site by Elizabeth Eve, she talks about the nuclear facilities throughout the kind of Rocky Mountain states. Well, Everybody living there has political leaders who are accepting huge amounts of money to put the uh, nuclear silos and facilities in their home states, and they have a lot that they can ask. Um, And in other parts of the country, there's a lot of legacy of nuclear waste that still requires a lot of attention. So there's a lot of things individuals can do, and individuals have agency, and we hope they take that away in terms of what can I do to turn back the clock? Like, what's my piece of that to turn back the hands of the doomsday clock? So. We do scare people with it. And I've gotten, I get letters every year, like really angry letters. You're just scaring me and I don't need this, you know, and why? And, and I get those, but I also get letters um, from people who say, you know, it really does feel very dangerous to me. And thanks for acknowledging that I'm not like crazy in terms of how concerned I am by some of these issues and then providing a place where they can go to learn more about these issues As well as go to other places that are working on these, and we can always help people find resources that they're looking for. So we hope for like all of that with the with the clock. Yeah, it's like an
0: annual wake up call kind
1: of thing. It is actually, and to the extent that you know, it's these are big, hard issues to kind of think about on a daily basis when you're trying to get your kids to school and you know trying to put dinner on the table, but every now and then, it's really important to pay attention to it and and try to make them part of our kind of awareness about the risks that that we have created. But we also at the Bulletin believe we created these so we can control them. And that's our obligation to science, I think.
0: Mm -hmm. Definitely. And And one last question, because as you said, we're working from home nowadays, and I'm in Philly, and if I may, your central time zone. um, I saw that you went to school at University of Pennsylvania. Do you have any, maybe like a fun Philly story or anything that you want to share? I went to Penn. I'm a
1: big fan of Penn. my college boyfriend was at Drexel. I'm a big fan of Drexel and uh, I um, I miss it and it's uh, I love going back and I have family who's still there. So
0: That's it for this episode of KYW News Radio In Depth. You can listen and subscribe to the podcast on the Radio.com app or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. I'm Charlotte Reese and we'll have another episode out soon.